0: Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I got both of you guys, are good. Uh, like I said, don't, don't really worry about time, I'll be here till at least two. Okay, so. much appreciated. Cool. So no hot mic questions, no. I don't know, out.
0: <laughs> I think we're ready to get started, you ready? Great, ready. Okay, cool. <clears throat> So welcome back to the Diverse Tech Founders podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and I'm also super duper excited for our guests today because I got to be honest with you, Mark, out of all the people in these last couple of years who have been supporting Diverse Tech Founders, you have been one of the most consistent, one of the most helpful and the most giving. I mean, there have probably been a dozen founders who have reached out to you that you've been able to help. But now it's time for us To get to know you and what you're working on now because i don't even know who showed up today because you wear three different hats right you're a founder you're an investor you're an advisor we can cover all of that here but first let's rewind the clock back a little bit and just for the folks who are listening i've known mark since 2014 i guess we met on the hill capitol hill which we can get into later so i know a little bit about your background but not as far back as we would like so tell us about childhood mark What was that person like and would childhood Mark be friends with
1: the Mark we see today? The me of today, Childhood Mark would be friends with, but the me in my 20s, probably not. And this is why with Childhood Mark, I remember specifically talking to my dad when I was 11 about the Power Rangers and how I wanted to create my own stories for the Power Rangers. And he told me that if you became an executive producer, you can create all the different types of Power Rangers that you want. And I was like, oh, I can start companies. That would be great. And then I could bring all of my friends in and they could be the characters it was just blue ocean everything is a white space and i think after college and especially in my 20s especially working on the hill i started to get okay let's calm down let's fit into this one box people who knew me on the hill would not have said that because i created my own position as a director of business outreach for the senate dems at the time and if you know anything about government No one is an entrepreneur in government. No one gets to create these things. But from my perspective, I was like in a box a little bit. That's why I say it's sort of like I was more passive in my 20s than I was as a kid or now. I'm far more active now and as a kid. (laughs) Interesting. So you did know
0: early on companies, investing in them, building them was something that you wanted to do.
1: Oh, yeah. There's one question that they asked us in Senator Reed's office, who just passed away. Uh, rest in peace <laughs> to him. That if you had all the money in the world, but you had to go somewhere and do something between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. every day for the rest of your life, what would you do? And my answer was, I would literally have a meeting space, talk to entrepreneurs about what you want to do and see how I can help them. Wow. That's all I would do. And not just entrepreneurs, but people with projects, like even in government. Oh, we want to solve this crisis or that crisis. I want to sit with them and go, great. What are the different vantage points? How can we help you? That's what I was thinking. So I think it fits very much in with entrepreneurship and that sort of advisor and investor ecosystem. Absolutely. I mean, you're a builder. That's what you like to do. You're very fluid with
0: technology. I mean, that's something that struck me even back in 2014 is you had a plan, a focus, a mission. You were not afraid of it. And I think since we last were actually physically together a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. if not longer you've developed even more skill sets coding and the like with the company etc uh, so that's all good and dandy what was your earliest experience with innovation and technology like what began to start that itch
1: that you've been scratching ever since it was two different things i remember being in third grade and having a computer in dial up and i remember if anyone ever remembers dial up <laughs> as a kid we could go to the library or go to recess and i liked both but i would like to go to the library where we had I think AOL at that time, and I remember pages would take like five minutes to load, but I would love it. I would just sit there looking at all this information that I could get looking up random things. So that was like the first where I realized, wait, a computer is a portal to worlds that you aren't physically a part of. Uh, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and then I moved to Detroit, Michigan to go to art school. But from Toledo, Ohio, I could learn about San Francisco. I could learn about Russia. I could learn about Moscow. You can learn whatever you want on the internet. So that was the first thing that opened it up. And the second was, this was when I was in middle school, my mom bought a web TV, which was supposed to be the future of the internet. Instead of having a personal computer, you could have the internet on your TV. (laughs) And so that was faster than dial up, which was great. So I could go to more websites, but I realized I would be sitting there on my computer on one website, have another website going on web TV and listening to music at the same time. And that was totally fine with me. (laughs) And so I think looking back and thinking about my early experiences with technology, I remember at the time people thinking like, oh, what's wrong with Mark. Why does he spend so much time doing five things at once? He's not very focused, but actually I was focused on how fast I could get new information and how fast I could learn things. And if something was slowing me down, I'm just want to switch to something else Good <laughs> to move faster. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was just thinking, it seems like, you know, you
0: are living in the information rapids. Like you just like information, you like for it to come. You're not worried about, you know, kind of holding it or keeping it. But now you have focused all of that interest and in energy into this company Mm -hmm. so tell us what is creator nova
1: and from where did this idea originate creator nova empowers entrepreneurs to launch and manage their own beauty brands simply and swiftly and we really focus on that simple and swift part at the end The idea came from content creators in the creator economy are generally used to sell someone else's product, and they get pennies off of the dollar. But really, they have what most businesses don't have. They already have an audience of consumers. So all they really need is a product, their own product, not someone else's product. And they can build a more sustainable business themselves because they have the audience, they have the marketing. And that was the origination of it. I was working at Alibaba, and we worked with a lot of manufacturers. I got to build a, a supply chain called a TOF, Tmall Overseas Fulfillment, where you can easily ship goods from... The United States to China and have the inspectors here from Canada to China from Europe to America or Europe to China like really fast which is huge in the supply with all the supply chain constraints that we see now we helped over 50 companies launch US startups launch internationally but I realized the ones that were more sustainable were ones that were led by a creator or had a creative team that had an audience and the reason is because it's more than just a product you can buy a apple device or you could buy a samsung device but imagine if a creator created something for you then it's like tied to it it's like when steve jobs was alive people saw steve jobs as like the emblem of apple and so having people like that and now we live in a society where everyone is a creator we all have something not just to sell as a business that we can build to make other people's lives better so focusing on that and then we worked a lot on beauty mother and baby and fashion are the three industries that people buy cross-border a lot you think it would be electronics but it's actually beauty first fashion second and mother and baby third Hmm. but specifically in beauty it's the most fragmented and has the highest barrier to entry so what we're doing at creator nova is we're eliminating that barrier to entry I came from Alibaba. My co-founder came from Amazon. So when do you ever get a founder from Alibaba to Amazon working together? We partner with manufacturers. You can work directly with the manufacturer. You can find your packaging designer on down to your marketing expert. So you can literally go from A to Z very swiftly with us. So you mentioned the
0: breadth that you're covering. What do casual influencers get from Creator
1: Nova that maybe some of the big folks won't, but that they can't get anywhere else. Trust, if anyone has ever worked with a consumer brand, the first thing that you learn is your packaging might come from China. Your formulation might come from Europe or Germany you might have gotten your inspiration from South Africa. How do you put all of those different places together? It's like when you start a beauty brand, you immediately have to become an international business person with 50 years experience, even between formulation and manufacturing. Those are two specializations. So what we offer to people is the trust that you know you're in good hands, you know that we've done this before, we've already launched brands, and we will help you find the formulator, manufacturer, on down to the marketer that's unique for you and not just someone that we're putting in front of you. Wow. That is super powerful, and it it sounds like it's needed. I am not
0: a, a beauty influencer myself, uh, at least not yet. But I am curious to know what folks who are in this space are saying about Creator Nova to date. But more specifically, like what evidence of traction did you see that let you know this was something you wanted to keep going
1: with? I think there are two, a couple different points of early traction. One is when we first started getting letters of interest before we even had our marketplace rolled out, where we had people signing up to say, I would pay X amount a month if you built this product. And we started to say, oh, wow. And some of them were companies that were featured in Oprah's favorite things and were featured online. And we were like, oh, wow, okay, we we have something here. The second was industry leaders. And so we had three of the four largest beauty companies in the world that make you know billions of dollars a quarter say oh the industry needs this and this is why and they would explain to us why the beauty industry needed creator nova and we go oh okay big companies are saying this entrepreneurs are saying this creators are saying this are willing to pay for it okay we have something here and we need to ensure that we build something that's not just a cool product but something that's actually useful by the consumer wow that's special and a lot of what you've been saying so far has been special i mean you've been you know Casually
0: name dropping, but who in your personal and professional network provided value that was sort of unexpected? You know, they didn't necessarily have what other folks might think is something you need for a startup company, but who was providing value to you where
1: it was something you didn't really expect? I would say last year I was a part of the NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center, they gave everyone an executive coach. executive coach ended up being one of the most impactful things that i didn't know that i would need at that time and this is why she went through a process with us of figuring out where our not technical skills lay but where are inherent skills that we just naturally would give off so the executive coach that we received from nasdaq entrepreneurial center is called holly allen and she runs holly allen consulting she created something called the eight geniuses of wonder and everyone loves to be called a genius but there's like genius of wonder genius and in invention on down to like Galvanizing and genius of tenacity. It's what you naturally do in your personal and professional life and how you sort of naturally work. I have a genius of invention, wonder. I can put things together, strategize, but actually, the galvanizing part I didn't have. I don't focus on it. Highly unexpected that I didn't know that I need to learn, but I needed to learn (laughs) about what are your particular geniuses because then. It helps me focus on doing more of it, like coming on this podcast, talking to more people about it. (laughs) Shout out to Holly for the illumination. The personal development
0: is key. Speaking of personal, let's talk family a little bit, Mark. Do you separate or do you combine your personal and your family life from
1: all the business stuff? And uh, how do you see those two fitting within one life? I definitely combine the two. And I think it's something that I learned while living in China, working at Alibaba, is that you should work on the projects and companies that you actually like, that sort of fit with your personality. So because we help influencers launch beauty brands and entrepreneurs launch beauty brands, I'm constantly talking to my nieces and sisters about, oh, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you want to talk this? Do you want to talk about that? But also, I'm highly interested in what they're working on, My sister bought a farm in Virginia, and I'm immediately like, oh, what do you need? I start watching YouTube videos about farming, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I learned this. And obviously, she already knows, but I feel like I'm a part of it. I think I combine the two. I think it's hard for me personally to separate and say work is over here and sort of home life is over here. I think I was better at it in my 20s when I worked on the Hill. As soon as I left the office, I never wanted to talk about politics. But I think now it's much harder because it's sort of like... Your, your, your own baby. <laughs> and so uh, it, it's much harder for me to
0: separate. That makes sense. I mean, it's something that you continue to learn, continue to work on. You need more people in your life who are rooting for you. Uh, speaking of more people, you mentioned your co-founder. Feel free to, to go in depth um, in that experience. But this question is not about anyone specific. It's about design. And if you were designing a co-founder from scratch, I mean, you kind of had all the potions and recipes and bottles that you could pour and mix up the perfect co-founder for you specifically,
1: what would you add first that's rare to find? Interest and lifelong learning about something that you don't know how to do, but you want to learn how to do, because that's rare. Most of us are taught, especially all of us that are A students, this is what you're good at, stick in this line of work don't touch anything that you're not good at. But as an entrepreneur or even just as a builder in general, if you're working on a separate project within your company, you have to be able to learn something new. You're going to hit
0: challenges. It's necessary. And we'll get into that a little bit later when it comes to the pivot and maybe the importance of having that type of growth or flexible elastic mindset. If you had one million dollars or whatever currency based on the countries (laughs) that you're in at the time, but if you have the equivalent of one million
1: dollars in funding right now, what would you do with it? We do two things. One, outside of just improving our tech, expand internationally, because beauty is all around the world. And what we found with a lot of our entrepreneurs is that their marketing might be targeting Americans here, but they're getting sales all around the world. So let's start targeting all around the world for Creator Nova. There must be entrepreneurs there. One good example is one company, they started in LA. They were only focused on the LA area. They started getting buyers from India. And they said, whoa, India? I didn't even know we could be seen over there. So it must mean that people around the world are searching for the types of products that creators are creating in the beauty industry here in the United States. So let's expand upon that. So expanding internationally would be one. And secondly, would be creating more of a decentralized community because beauty is highly decentralized where there's about 26 different, you know, skin types and they're always finding more. There's different hair types. There's all of this. And then around the world, if you're in a hotter climate, wetter climate, you know, dry climate or cold climate, It all affects your skin. It all affects your hair and sort of what you wear and all of that. So instead of large companies telling everyone around the world what to do, I'd be interested in more of a decentralized community where it's sort of bottom up and that sort of fits more into, I know we've talked offline about this, more of the web three type of communities where the community members themselves get to decide what products are created. So those would be the two things I would do.
0: Got it. Speaking of, you know, positioning yourself as a leader in the beauty space, how do you overcome any type of friction that people may have about what they expect to see in a beauty influencer business?
1: We definitely get pushback based on what types of products. But this goes to the decentralization of in a fragmentation of beauty where someone may want to do a product that, you know, has this seven set of colors and will immediately have a consumer say, what about this eighth color? (laughs) Why don't we have that? Or someone that's doing body cream and someone says, why don't you do face cream? But to me, the answer is Great. That is an opportunity for another company there, because what people want is authenticity in their companies. They don't want a company that's a body care company to then just start making face cream just because they can make money on it, because that's not where their authentic self lives. So I think it's really the opportunity for Creator Nova to go out and find more entrepreneurs in these different segmented areas around the world.
0: That's a great way of answering that question, because I'm sure it does kind of come up. But You just lean into it. You're right. There's more out there. Let's go get it. I think that's a great mentality to have. Uh, And you generally have a strong sense of decision making. You're very thoughtful. And I'm wondering if anyone along the way, as you were building this MVP for Creator Nova, gave you a piece of advice
1: that you thought was particularly profitable. Build with your consumer or your user, not build behind the scenes and then show your user, build with them, bring them in a part of a process. So what we would do as we were building out our platform Every week we would say, oh, hey, we added this feature, Uh, use it, because all of us will say, oh, we want this feature. But then we have that feature, and it's like, oh, it's a a bell and whistle. It's nice to have, but not really a painkiller yet. Oh, this was cool. So you want to see, do people actually use this feature that they said they wanted and you created it? So it's sort of having that building loop of talking to your user building something, see if they actually use it, building something else, so that constant iteration. I call it building in the open because you're building with your users. I think that's the most profitable piece of advice. How do you infuse that into your company culture? I get it. You are very skilled at what you
0: do. You know what to do and how to ask it. But if it was somebody else other than you in the business, do you think they would
1: still get that sense of the company's culture? A lot of companies have their sort of vision statements and mission statements, but you actually have to live it in each meeting that you have. So in every meeting that we have, me and my co founders and whoever else we're working with, consultants and things like that, we say, is this something that the customer will want? When we brought on a CTO this year, this is the question he would ask. Great, this is a cool feature that you wanna create, but does the user wanna use this? Let's see. Let's give this to a user and see if they actually use it. So I think it's about as you're bringing people into your sort of community of building out your tech, are they asking that same question every day in every meeting when we're talking about our strategy or what we want to build? I think that's key. Wow, there's some
0: very key insight there. But we know it's not all serious for you at Creator Nova. You know, you're getting it done, growing fast and all that. So tell us, like, what's the most fun that you have in your business and your company as you've been along this journey? Like, how do
1: you keep it fun? I would say... Well, it's beauty is kind of naturally fun. I think one of them was we had a brand launch Signet Beauty in uh, November last year. It's press on nails. And one of the most fun things was seeing people on the internet have with her product, trying it on and like doing Instagram lives and talking about it. I don't wear press on nails, but that was so exciting, you know, (laughs) just to see this thing that was an idea eight months prior is now in people's hands and they like it. That was kind of fun. (laughs) And I look forward to post-coronavirus doing pop-up shops with a lot of the beauty influencers. I think that's the most fun thing to me is seeing someone that had this idea and say, you know, I've talked to five manufacturers, I'm very confused, this one's in China, this one's in Europe, this one's in Latin America, they're all saying the same thing, what do we do? And then eight months later, they have their sort of perfect product. I think that's kind of fun to me. <laughs> to like, see someone create something.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure, especially within, I mean, you're changing people's lives within one year. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people can come into this booth and say that, that's huge. So yeah. we, we, we want you to keep keep doing that, but we also wanna keep getting to know you. And the artistic side of you, Mark. So which artists, and it could be any artists, okay? A lot of people, you know, think... You know they have to be a musician, not necessarily they could be anything. Any type. Which artist most inspires the work that you do?
1: Number one, because this is a, my favorite childhood artist, is Tupac, Easily. And this is why. Although he comes from a rap world, it's mostly he was all about being his authentic self, no matter what room he was in. But he got a lot of flack for. It. He was this energetic guy that always wanted to make like 50 songs a night and just sleep in the studio and do that. But that's what he liked to do. And he did didn't like compromise on it. He didn't like stop making music at some point. Even when he went to jail, he's like sitting there writing songs all day. It's just like he's gonna be himself. He's not like gonna switch and try to be something else. So I try to take that on. And it inspired me to like be myself. I know as African-Americans, there's always this talk, especially in professional circles of, do you code switch or do you not? And I'm like, no, I don't code switch. I'm just gonna be myself (laughs) Uh, at all times because I think that brings more realism and authenticity. So now when I talk, people go, I understand him. He came from Toledo, Ohio. He went to high school in Detroit, Michigan. He went to China. And instead of being like, why did he do that? It's more like an interesting why. Like, oh, why did he do that? (laughs) This is interesting. And I think it all comes from being your authentic self. And I know it's not about the business, but I'll bring it back to the business in a second. For anyone that wants to launch a brand, authenticity is number one, because your potential users and customers and your consumers will see it instantly. If you spent your entire life talking about eyeshadow and then you're selling like lipstick product they're gonna go whoa this why why don't you sell eyeshadow what's happening here or if you're a football player then you automatically are selling you know uh old spice cologne they're gonna go oh what is this and then you have to tell them the authentic story maybe you like to wear old spice it has to be something authentic so you can't have this sort of code switching thing that was the thing of the past (laughs) before the internet was around and i think tupac sort of exemplify that. That's what he was for better and for worse.
0: (laughs) Well said. Very well said. You keep mentioning different places, different cities, communities, ecosystems even. But what are you most excited about in this startup ecosystem out here in Silicon Valley, right? In San Francisco, however you describe it, right? Because we have founders from all over the country. But for you
1: here, what's happening on the ground? I think the most exciting thing about Silicon Valley versus any other city I've been to in the world, specifically for tech, is that it's incredibly open. You can walk into a room and say, I wanna create an NFT project. And someone in the room is gonna say, oh, I know someone who can create NFTs. I'll introduce you to them. Or you can say, you know, I wanna create supply chain tech that's focused on 3D products someone in the room is going to say, oh, I know someone who does that. So that instant connection, that willing to partner, that willing to be open and build something, I think is highly unique to Silicon Valley. I would agree with that. I mean, not to say that people aren't
0: generous in other markets, but it does seem that if you're not doing that, you're an outlier here.
1: Which Yeah. Yeah. If you keep your project to yourself, people start looking at you like, "What's what's going on here? And this feeds into everything that we know about crypto and Web3. We're like, the code is online. It's Everyone's code is on GitHub. If the founders aren't doxed, meaning the founders don't say who they actually are and put their Twitter accounts up with like their real names, people start to think that that's weird (laughs) in Silicon Valley. That's good. That's good insight and something
0: I don't think we've we've really heard just yet. So we get it. Silicon Valley, center of the venture capital world for a long time. Uh, But if you had to move to another
1: startup ecosystem, U.S. or otherwise, which one would you move to? The first is Southeast Asia, specifically Indonesia. I remember when I lived in China, I would travel through Malaysia, Singapore, all of these places, and there's such a willingness to just build something new. Great, we don't have this, let's build it. There's no app to help you uh, you know, register in line for a museum. Let's just build it, let's build it this weekend, let's just do it. It's sort of like what you remember from like the TV show, Silicon Valley, and how people thought of Silicon Valley. A lot of Southeast Asia is like that. But I would say, secondly, the place where I think could be a super interesting startup ecosystem is Detroit, Michigan. And this is why, if you think about it, back in World War II, one of the ways Americans built so many manufacturing products, fortunately for the war, was there's GM, Ford, and Chrysler all in Michigan, all around Detroit. They know how to make cars. Manufacturing, you can just change the machines around. To make a plate that looks like, you know, a five inch plate to be a 10 inch plate or whatever it is, whatever you need to make today where what's the topic of conversation, supply chain issues. What do we want to do? Manufacture more in America, more highly technical manufacturing that we need to do, 3D and other things. Who knows how to do this? There are tons of people that live around Detroit that worked at GM, Ford, and Chrysler and know how to manufacture, Are you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who could be a burgeoning manufacturing, technical manufacturing sector in the United States. It hasn't happened yet, but if anyone's out there and interested in that, I think that could be huge. Okay. (laughs) Didn't know you're going to be looking into your crystal ball here when you came into the studio, but we're glad (laughs) that you
0: did because it comes from your experience having to shift, having to switch, having to rethink. And we all know that eventually a company is going to be in that situation where you're going to have to make a decision. You can go right, you can go left. Maybe it matters. It likely does. But more importantly, the fact that you have to make that decision and live with it. So you've probably had many in your illustrious career so far but is there one with creator nova that you think really was of significant consequence
1: yeah i think a pivot that we did at the end of last year was a significant pivot because last year in 2021 we started the business and it was all focused on helping entrepreneurs launch their business but then in november we launched a business what do you do after that (laughs) launch another one Yes, we can still help entrepreneurs launch businesses, but now let's help them manage their business. And then we got into, in talking to our users, what's the painkiller? What's the, what's the most painful part of managing your business post-launch? It's the financial part. How do you get loans, bridge loans, credit cards, bank accounts, things like that, that are additive to your growth and doesn't take it away? Meaning a lot of VCs don't invest in consumer products because you don't get that 100,000x sort of growth. A lot of banks don't invest in smaller businesses because the loans are under $5 million. So there's kind of that sweet spot of how do we help them go from the business that's making maybe, you know, $500,000, $300,000 $500,000, $300,000 in their first year to be the company making $10 million within five, six, seven years. So that became the sweet spot. So our biggest pivot in Creator Nova was becoming more of a fintech company to help entrepreneurs post-launch. We help them launch, and then post-launch help them manage their finances, get loans, inventory, inventory factory, invoice factory, credit cards, and things like that so that they can continue their growth.
0: Wow. I want to switch gears now to communities and community building, right? Because it just seems so in vogue today. Everybody's building communities all over the place. They want you to join, contribute. They're setting it up. Which communities have been the most helpful
1: in growing your brands and your vision? I actually would say your D-Tech Fund community was One. And I remember when you would put the events together in Harlem and I would show up and go, oh, you know, I lived in Chelsea. So, you know, going from Chelsea to Harlem, it's like we can fly around the world, but literally taking a 30 minute (laughs) subway ride (laughs) is like the hardest thing for any New Yorker to do. And I'd be like, oh man, is he going to do one of these in Chelsea one day? But it was impactful because this is the type of community that people need. They need the entrepreneur to entrepreneur type of community because entrepreneurs go through something and very few people talk about it, but we have a group called founders anonymous here in the Bay where you get on zoom and everyone has anonymous names and they sort of talk about the emotional side of being an entrepreneur. Just yesterday I was with the founder of a mobile coin and everyone likes to point out that, Oh, with the one three page white paper, he raised $30 million. And, oh yeah. Isn't that so great. What he talked about and what no one likes to talk about, is that his business almost went bankrupt six times after that <laughs> and they had to keep resuscitating it and bringing it back and now it's doing well and they're crushing it at 75 employees but that's an emotional roller coaster right there what do you do when you almost go bankrupt or you talk to entrepreneurs all the time or uh, you know your family your wife or husband is saying why are you still working on this you could just get a job over here it's that tougher emotional side especially as diverse founders because there's not a ton of us we're already minorities and then we're a minority of a minority (laughs) in this place so you really need someone who is similar to you to say is this what you're going through (laughs) as well does this make sense and then to see someone like abby at isuzu make it go oh wow oh okay i saw him when he was looking for angels a few years ago Oh, okay. We, we, this can be done. So I think that is a huge community. I think the second community that has been good for me is Undec, it's a community of founders here in San Francisco, it's another place where you can just jump in and say, I see it all the time at our Slack. How do I incorporate my community? Or I accidentally incorporated it as an LLC and it needs to be a C Corp. How do I do that? And someone answers or someone will say, I have no idea what web three is. Can someone explain it to me? And someone will put in their Calendly to jump on and have a call with them. So I think those two communities have been great. Absolutely. I mean, that willingness to give first, is huge.
0: And it's good to know if you're out there listening that imposter syndrome still exists in Silicon Valley as well. So don't think that you can avoid it. We're just finding tools to, to overcome it. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to the app launch party. So because honestly, I was super excited to, to hop in the booth with you because I think you might be one of a handful of people who were at all of them basically in, <laughs> in New York. So maybe you and your own words could kind of just tell people who don't have a clue what you're talking about, what that app launch party is. And then I want to ask you, because you have asked questions at these app launch parties before, but if we were to have another one or when we have another one, and let's say you're the last one that's asking the question during the Q&A, what question are you asking that founder? I know he hit, hit you with a lot there, but you know, given you've been to him, just talk about the app launch parties. And then, which question are you asking that founder?
1: Yeah, the app launch parties were things that were put together by Abraham in New York to win someone because this it, and it's actually at a critical juncture for any entrepreneur. You've been working on some app. <laughs> maybe you had a couple users test it. It's been in beta. It's probably still in beta, and maybe it's getting ready to launch in a few months. And you want to open it up to people who have no idea what this idea is. And the one thing I liked about the app launch parties is you never told us what the company was <laughs> beforehand. So there was no research that we could have done. There's nothing that we could do to like look up because the question. This will lead into the question. You want to say, "Oh, what do you think about Apple's doing this or Google's doing this or some other?" You have no idea. They just show up. And the other thing I liked about it is that you actually didn't know who the founder was beforehand because everyone would just be sitting around eating pizza, talking, and then one person would just get up and say okay i'm the founder i have this new app coming out and start talking and it's like oh no i've been talking to them i didn't ask them any good questions but you know why i like it it's cuz you saw them as people first you didn't see them as someone coming in to sell you something and so that was basically the app launch party. And at the app launch party, it was generally either a QR code or a website or the app was already either in test flight or on the Apple store as a beta that you could literally during the party, download it, try it out, and then tell the founder who you just met and we're having pizza with what you thought about it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes critical questions and sometimes not critical questions, but I think the number one question that I like to ask founders is there's sort of two users, there's many types of users, but two really interesting users. One is who's the most critical user at this moment? If you built just a halfway version of your app, who would still pay like a thousand dollars to use it? Who needs this app that much? <laughs> and then the second question is still a user question. Who are sort of the late comers that after it's cool, Who wants to use it then? Like in Facebook is a great example of that. Who needed it was college kids. Because at the time there was what? GeoCities and MySpace and... Friendster, and there was all these other things in 2004, but we kind of wanted something where, okay, everyone that's just at my school, I kind of just want to talk to them and organize events around school. How do I do that? So that was, we would have paid for it if we had the money in college <laughs> to pay for it, but that was that critical user that would have paid for it, even if a halfway version of Facebook. But then the bigger vision of Facebook, that late consumer, that's actually the biggest part of the pie, are families and parents that's what people are using it for if you go on Facebook it's a lot of parents and families connecting I reconnected with with my dad's side of the family in Nigeria through Facebook everyone batches Facebook but I wouldn't have been able to do it without it it's interesting so uh, I think you have to think of your users in both sides first part of the question who's your most critical user that would pay all of their money today just to use a halfway version of it and who is that end consumer that after it becomes cool would use it in a different way Absolutely. And you mentioned
0: Abby and Asuzu, And again, shout out to Abby and Sevier. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that is a win for the community, for them, yeah. for everybody. And I mean, you saw when he was there, like a class act from start to end, like oh, just yeah. a very good person and a good business person. But you mentioned that they reached the unicorn status this week, actually. Yep. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why
1: or why not? Definitely yes, but not for the reason most entrepreneurs or people would say. I would like to run a billion-dollar business more to direct resources and projects towards communities that matter. One thing we see a lot, although we're starting with beauty, there's a lot of other areas that we can get to beyond beauty. But then even within beauty, people think it's only women, and it is 80% women, but it's 20% men, and men are growing. There's this interesting thing that's happening where... If you are a billion dollar company, you then have a lot more resources to have employees and do projects with other companies that are sort of side projects that could become huge. Google's famously famous for this with like their Google Reader, Google Maps and other things that they allow people to launch. We always talk about this, that fashion and beauty are kind of similar, right? (laughs) Uh, You never really see a fashionable person that also isn't trying to be beautiful or a beautiful person that's not trying to be fashionable. And why are they doing this? And then what are those connections there? Are they on TV? Do they do podcasts? What do they do? There's all these sort of extra connections that you can do as a billion dollar company that you can't do as a startup. As a startup, you need to focus on doing one thing and one thing well. So if I'm hearing this
0: correctly, reaching a billion dollars is actually a liberating experience. I think so, yeah. Uh, gives yeah. you more opportunities. That's a good way yeah. of thinking about it. Does it feel like we've reached sort of the tail end of, of this journey? Yeah, like, it uh, feels like it. This is a great conversation. It was, I liked it. <laughs> this is really good. You are very knowledgeable, and I'm thankful that you were able to share so much because, like you said, to come all the way from Toledo, Ohio, halfway around the world, and here to be now yeah. on the on the road that you're on is pretty cool. <laughs> this may be a question that you've answered in so many words on the podcast so far, but just... To leave us with this thought, what's the most valuable thing that Creator Nova does for its customers? Education.
1: At the end, I can see every entrepreneur we work with, they were superstars to begin with, and now they know their business inside and out after just a
0: few months. That's huge. I mean, If you walk away feeling like you're that much more confident in closing the deal because of Creator Nova, that's a win. There is one more question we want to ask you, our bonus question. And it fits on brand because we're all about connectedness. If you're listening to this right now and Mark wowed you, blew your mind, you're like, hey, I want to get in touch with Mark. I think that our conversation would be beneficial to both of us. Where can people reach out to you? What is the one place that you're checking to see if this person who listened to this podcast was able to reach out and find you?
1: LinkedIn easily. Actually, <laughs> that's a lot. Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say LinkedIn because it sounds more professional, but I'll be honest. If you message me on Instagram, I'm, I'm going to reply within seconds. <laughs> but it it's kind of unbranded for Creator Nova. <laughs> Definitely Instagram. Instagram will be the fastest. It's good. Drop the handle for it. <laughs> so my handle is Mark Obama. M-A-R-K-O-B-O-N-N-A. But you can also find me on uh LinkedIn or Mark at CreatorNova.com. I'll answer emails as well. But Instagram is definitely the fastest. <laughs> appreciate the honesty there and
0: the sincerity throughout this entire conversation mark it was so good catching up with you i know it's been a little bit since we were able to have a conversation like this in person but i'm glad that we did
1: we will let you have the last word well i would say thank you for having me on the podcast love talking to the dtech crew around the united states and it's going to go global at some point and i would say for anyone that is even mildly interested in creating your own brand or has an idea or maybe already have have your brand and you want to get more into clean beauty, we're launching this year a set of beauty brand launch academies. That'll be two-month academies where you'll learn everything from building out your market idea, building out your packaging design your PL, everything from the tactics around social media marketing sms and email just email me at mark at creatornova.com and we can get you set up with that academy and you can go from a to z that is awesome thank
0: you thank you thank you and until next time we bid you adieu thank you for joining this week's episode of diverse tech founders podcast i'm abraham j williamson and we had yet another great guest to pop in and if you enjoyed today's podcast recording please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever medium of choice that you have. But thank you for joining and we'll see you next week.